listening to Deep Thoughts, where every episode explores one aspect of the Christian faith a little more deeply. I'm your host, Matt Schantz, and I am looking forward to this conversation more than most, because Gary Brashears is a hero of mine and is my professor. I'm in a master's cohort in applied biblical leadership, and Gary is my guide. A number of Christian leaders that I really admire have been mentored by Gary and been in this very program over the years, so it's an honor to be studying under him. Uh, Gary got his Bachelor of Science in Mathematics and Education before doing a Master of Divinity at Denver Seminary and a PhD in Systematic Theology at Fuller. We're going to get into some subject matter that will seem unusual to folks who don't attend church, and that will even be uncommon territory for many who do. That being the existence of Satan, demons, and the reality of spiritual warfare. I'm excited to introduce you all to my professor and theological mentor these days and dive into a topic that is not talked about enough in circles like mine. So without further ado, here's my deep conversation with Dr. Gary Brashear. Hi, Gary. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm glad to be here. Wish I were nearby, but we're at least have Zoomers. Yeah. yeah. And we got to finally hang out in person last month. So yes, that was great. And you've uh, been introduced to my basement bunkhouse and yes. treated it well, I will have to say. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, good. Yeah. No, you were very hospitable and that was very, yeah, very kind of you. And uh, this background that you have there that I'm looking at over Zoom here as we record, I see a lot because uh, and next Thursday, I'll see it for eight, nine hours. So Indeed. there we go. Yep. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for it. Um, now, um, I've I've heard pieces of your story. Like I think I've kind of pieced it together because yep. you share little tidbits as we go and stuff like that. But I'd love just for our listeners as well to get to know you a little bit, just hear a bit about upbringing and coming to faith and then I have this sense that you had aspirations of being a math teacher that then, shift, <laughs> then shifted to like missionary and then begrudgingly shifted to professor of theology. So I, and here you are still doing it. So I'd love to hear just broad strokes, all of that. Yeah. Well, I was born in a Christian family, uh, Church of the Brethren. I, we moved back to the Ozarks of Missouri. I was born in Albuquerque and then moved to Ozarks of Missouri when I was two and a half. So I grew up at Spring Branch Church of the Brethren in Brashears Valley near Avery, Missouri, which doesn't exist anymore. And that's where I'll be gathered to my father's is in that particular cemetery behind that church. My plot is already picked out. Oh, wow. And my great-great-grandfather and his wife are there as well. Uh, I ended up going back to Albuquerque uh rejected Christianity as a 14-year-old. I rejected fundamentalism, but I didn't know that there was something different. Uh, I went into, was headed into deep despair, uh, had a, a connection with Jesus that uh, was helped by a new pastor and his daughter who engaged me. Uh, and then Jesus reached out to me in a one o'clock in the morning on Rio Grande Boulevard there in Albuquerque as I was driving down the road in my little two-seater sports car 
made a deep commitment to Jesus. As you say, I wanted to be a university math prof and sponsor a Christian club in a varsity or crew or something on campus. Was headed that direction. God shanghaied me and drug me off to the Philippines to teach math at Faith Academy, uh-huh. which was the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> Two-month-old baby, no support. I mean, incredible. But when God calls, you go. Nine months became three years, and uh, I decided, well, this Bible is really, I'll do that instead. So I went to seminary and then grad program to go back to the Philippines as a church planner, Bible college teacher. And as I was finishing up my coursework teaching at Biola in the late 70s, uh, God shanghaied me again and said, go to Western Conservative Baptist Seminary. <laughs> and I said, there's no way I'm going to that fight and funny school up there in Portland. I didn't know about that place. And God said, <laughs> so I came up, discovered they're moving out of the fundamentalism. And so I agreed with God, I'll go there 10 years, get my kids through high school. Then I'll go to the mission field. Well, I'm in my 42nd year at Western Seminary wow. and love what I do, but still regret not being able to be a missionary in the Philippines. So I've taught there on extended short-term missions several times. And uh, it just, yeah, but I love what I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, that really shows because I, I have, I feel like I, you know, I'm a, I'm a father of two. My wife works full time, uh, lead pastor of a church, preach, uh, teach courses on things in our church. We try and do some really intentional discipleship stuff. Sometimes I coach sons in sports, feel like life is busy. And then I get a window into your life and feel like an absolute uh, lazy slob. That's be- <laughs> You're in your seventies and you've got so many things on the go. It's, it's unbelievable. I don't know how you do it. I've made it past the three quarters of a century, Mark. So I feel good about that. Yeah. That, that's an achievement. Uh, and God's, even though I've got uh melanoma that metastasized into my lungs and brain, I uh, discovered that about 18 months ago, the Opdivo immunotherapy is doing its thing and I go full speed and, uh, if the doctor's right and God is gracious, I'll have two more of those infusions and then I'll be done and melanoma will be a thing of the past. Yeah. Praise God. Well, you're, uh, you're an inspiration and you're a gift to me, my whole cohort. We always talk glowingly about you and I'm in, <laughs> I'm in year two of three of this master's in applied biblical leadership. How did this program come to be? Uh, I, there's some stories of its roots and some really like wonderful pastors who have kind of gone through something similar, whose ministries I just love. Like, how did this come to be? There was this guy named John Mark Comer that kind of yep. twisted your arm, wasn't there? Uh, I did a couple of informal things, but in 2010, John Mark Comer uh, and Jason Albello were both lead pastors of large churches with no Bible training, Todd Proctor from Rock Harbor down in Bay- in the Southern California joined in. They were both, all three of these guys, pastors of churches 4,000 or more with no formal training at all. Well, let's just get together and we'll do a year of Bible, a year of theology, got permission from the dean here, did that, figured, well, okay, it'll once and it'll be done. And then they had friends who said, wait a minute, we want a piece of action too. And so I did another cycle, and then they had some friends, hey, we want to piece this action. And now we have a full Master of Applied Biblical Leadership degree program for people who have got a half a decade of full-time ministry experience or more and currently involved in full-time ministry, teaching ability, leadership ability. And so we get together these cohorts that go on for uh, your Bible, your theology, your ministry leadership. 
and it's just phenomenal. I do love it. Yeah. So John Mark Comer was in the first group. Uh, he has become quite well known. Uh, we've had some others. Uh, he's probably the best, most widely known person has gone through the cohort. But we've had another or just a lot of different folk, big churches, smaller churches. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. Yes. Evan Wickham, right? Evan, Wickham, Evan one? yes. Uh, just a brief funny story. Evan was, his dad was a Calvary Chapel song leader, John Wickham. Evan was reacting against his Calvary Chapel background and moving off into progressive theology off to the left. He was worship pastor at a church here in, in the area, West Side. Mm-hmm. And then another guy, Dan Braga, grew up in a really, really, really hard non-Christian home, dramatic conversion, became a very hardcore Calvinist, uh, robust, manly man kind of thing. So I've got Evan off on the left side and Dan off on the right side. Within an hour of the first class, they're yelling at each other. And uh, I mean, they were polar opposites, personality and theology and everything. 15 months later, they're sitting at the table in my house that you sat at and uh, praying about planting in Portland. They're both are in San Diego. Mm-hmm. They're both full-time pastors in their churches, and with the churches sitting, they par- started Park Hill. I mean, just completely different men. Uh, so Evan and Sandy and Dan and Alexis have all gone through the cohort, and it just, you know, they, they've learned we can work together. It's great. That, that is great. That is great. And I think uh, it's a testament to your ministry as well. There's just something about, uh, uh, we, we talk about this quite regularly in our cohort, just this, there's a way to hold your, hold your theology. Yeah. And, and that seems like a little bit of, you know, what Evan was reacting to and even what you were reacting to against this fundamentalism. And there's a way to, yeah. to hold Orthodox Christian faith, hold strong views, and yet how you hold them. Uh, is just as important, you might say. Yes. We're on the same team. We can, there are some things you die for, deity of Christ. Yep. There are some things you divide for, worship style, those kind of things, sacraments. There are some things you debate for, but you can work together really well. And there's a lot of things, oh, who cares? It doesn't make any difference, really. And, That's right. Yeah. So, so one how of, many well, hands do you hold up in worship and how high do you hand up and do you wave them? That's that's an issue for a lot of people, but we don't have to fight that one. It's, no it's doubt. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's this uh, there's this organization, this ministry in Portland that's just absolutely soaring these days. It's called the Bible Project. Yep. And Tim Mackey is another. Uh, is he still at Western as a prof? Uh, no, he's so busy with Bible Project. We don't get him at, at Western anymore. Okay. But uh, yeah, he he came through Western and then did his PhD at University of Wisconsin Madison. And uh, I've been a mentor in his life for a long time and mm-hmm. just a great guy. And Bible Project, of course, is just doing phenomenal work with Scripture. Yeah, they sure are. Yeah, I see that you're on the board and, and you, you sounds like they they run stuff by you on a regular basis as well. So. I, I, I've turned off the board as of uh, about nine months ago, but still okay. meet with them regularly and, and a consultant on a number of different things. Just love what they're doing. It's a great group. Yeah, likewise. Well, let's get into the subject matter we are talking about, uh, spiritual warfare. Yeah. Um, First of all, um, who is Satan? And and how does the Bible uh, talk about him? (laughs) Uh, Well, Satan is a title, not a name. 
And so one of the things I find really interesting is we do not know the name of the top bad guy in the spiritual powers. We know names of lower levels, Moloch and Chemish and Baal and so on, mm-hmm. but we do not know the name of the top bad guy. We only have titles for him, Satan, the uh, accuser, devil, the deceiver, uh those kind of we don't have a name for him, and I think it's purposeful. Scriptures not give us his name because it's, a, it's an insult. He's he's a bad guy. We don't we will not speak his name. Yeah. Uh, but the way the Bible portrays him is in the spiritual beings, the angelic powers. There's the good side, Gabriel, Michael, and so on, and there's the bad side, and Satan apparently is the top of the hierarchy. Revelation 12 talks about Satan and his angels go against Michael and his angels in this cosmic war. And uh, so that that's who he is, is apparently uh, Ezekiel 28 just hints that he was a throne-bearing cherub with this powerful angel that has the honor of carrying the throne of God. Uh, but apparently, I mean, it's a hint at that. This throne-bearing cherub decided he wanted to be on the throne instead of carrying the throne, and that yeah. began the rebellion uh, and that heavenly war uh, that we see hinted at in Scripture. I think happened prior to Genesis one one, and many evangelical theologians agree with that. And so that war has been going on and continues to go on, and the Messiah comes to crush the serpent. As prophesied in Genesis three, and that that battle between them goes through, and that and so Satan is the spiritual being, an angel level parallel to Michael, who has decided he's going to be the top dog, incredibly narcissistic, and the battle goes on. So yeah, there there there's a vagueness on the one hand about what happened and when like you're you're making you're you're asserting there about when you think this kind of cosmic battle took place and so on but there's it's spoken of as a reality you know yes. we wrestle not against flesh and blood but about these principalities and powers and stuff like that right. and and even you know called the prince of this world and stuff like that yep. these are these are realities that that we see picked up on through the new testament as well um how how would you in broad strokes talk about um, the spiritual realm and the spiritual kind of warfare that, that's going on around us. And then I want to kind of press into how we function around that. Yeah. They, we find uh, in Genesis chapter 3, this thing, the serpent, the Nahash it is in Hebrew, it's probably a spiritual being. We don't know exactly what it is. I don't think it's a literal snake because snakes don't talk. Uh, but this uh, this shining one, because Nahash is connected with shining as well, uh, comes in and just begins to ask some questions, and Eve falls into the prey of of his deception, and decides that she will trust her own perception about the tree of knowing good and bad, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, uh, instead of God's definition says it's a bad thing and so she decides i'll trust my own perceptions god wants me to grow up and be a big girl and so she follows her own judgment when god said no it's a it's a bad tree don't eat it Uh, and that's the way satan works his primary thing is deception 
to get us to think we can handle this even when we go against what God defined, or maybe that God's just too busy for us and we need to handle ourselves. But his primary thing uh, is to just deception, to believe a lie, to follow uh, our own perception as opposed to God's. And that's that's the primary thing that he does, is just deceive us. He also accuses us of being too evil to be saved. Mm-hmm. And he... Uh, those two are really important, deception, accusation. Of course, the third one is temptation. He tempts us to think, you know, this would be more fun or more productive than God's way of doing things. So those are the three basic things that he's doing against us, spiritual powers. And they're trying to get us to follow their way to worship and serve them rather than to worship and serve Yahweh. And it kind of makes sense. I mean, I'm a really important person. Why shouldn't I do? And I'm a big boy. I can figure things out for myself. Why shouldn't I do it my way? It looks fine to me. God says not so good, but it looks fine to me. And, uh, you know, and that that deception, that temptation, it's there all the time. Those spiritual powers are active in this world, and they want us to really trust me instead of trust God is a fundamental problem. Yeah. Well, I, just, I I want to frame the conversation a little bit too, because there will be people sure. listening who are are followers of Jesus, who, you know, at least theoretically uh, believe that all of this kind of the spiritual realm and spiritual warfare exists, right? Um, and then there 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 are people who are kind of exploring Christianity. I know we have listeners who who wouldn't claim to be followers of Jesus, um, but this is a a good place to explore that kind of thing. Who might be like, what in the world are you guys talking about? This sounds very airy fairy, that kind of thing. So um, there's this movie, I think from the 90s, called The Usual Suspects. And there's this line in it. Um, the protagonist, Kaiser Soze, narrates and he says, The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. And I think that that is very true in our society, which is a sort of a secular humanist or, right. or naturalist kind of a view. Um, and so I understand that there'll be listeners thinking this stuff, they're out to lunch. What are they talking about? Um, but I, but I also understand that there are Christians who essentially are functional, um, naturalists. Oh yeah. That will claim to be, you know, claim, yes, there's heaven. Yes. There's angels. Yes. There's demons, but functionally, or even as the topic comes up, they're like, eh, sounds a little bit wild. So, um, that's one way I think that, that maybe some Christians and churches get this whole conversation wrong or think about it in their minds that it would be helpful to speak into. Another one is, and I'm sure you've come across this as well, is sort of the polar opposite, which every struggle with sin is essentially a demon of something, a demon mm-hmm. of gossip. That's why you're gossiping, a demon of lust and that kind of thing. Or it's not even really you sinning, it's the demon of this thing. And so functional naturalist on the one hand, um, Every struggle is the demon of something that's tormenting you. I'm just wondering, how would you speak into some of that? What are some of the ways you've seen uh, Christians and churches get it wrong when it comes to the yes. demonic? Well, here in in the Western world, our base worldview in the world around us is naturalism. Everything can be explained by random application of presently operating natural law. Uh, there are no gods. There are no angels. There are no demons. Those are just stories people make up. Uh, you know, it's like the tooth fairy and that sort of thing. Uh, and you know, we're just we're just natural creatures. The thing of it is, though, that people in 
inevitably start looking for spiritual things. And what I'm finding as I watch the world around us uh, is the rise of the uh, the Avenger movies and that sort of stuff. We're getting they are uh, superpowers, often are spiritual powers and often evil spiritual powers in these movies, and some of them are cartoon shows. But it just keeps coming back up, and people are looking for a spiritual dimension. They do it through astral projection. They do it through uh, Wiccan rituals. They do it through Native American sweat lodges, and they're getting in touch with spiritual powers. And I think most of those are actually demonic powers, though I do find stories of people who meet Jesus through a magic mushroom trip or something like that. The the reality of spiritual just keeps coming back, even in our very secular Western culture. Uh, it's just really interesting to see a famous line from G.K. Chesterton is when people stop believing in God, they believe in anything. But particularly, they believe in spiritual things that are not God, and they're actually out there. So I find in just the narratives that are going around in the world around us that people still go back to believing in supernatural powers but then when i talk to people how often they end up in bad experiences with these supernatural powers and i think that happens i think get in touch with demons so that's one side of it yeah we believe there's no such thing but we keep having that you know ghost stories become popular all kinds of stuff the spiritual Mm -hmm. realm is just almost undeniable it just keeps popping back up because it's real i would say yeah yeah that's good um, so there's, um, in this conversation, there's often the, um, the comment like, or you'll hear from, from missionaries or folks from, from parts of Asia or Africa who would say, oh yeah, it's there. Every, nobody believes there's not God or there's not the spiritual realm. Like it's just yes. such, so much more palpable. It's the experience of everybody, uh, to witness it and so on. And so one of the big questions for people around this conversation is like, why does it seem non-existent in North America in, in some of these ways that aren't so overt? I've heard you on this. Yeah. It's interesting. What, what would you say to that? I, what happens is we in the West have bought into this scientific worldview, scientism, I would call it, that random everything is explainable, random application and presenting up in natural law. And you can't, there's no spiritual beings at all. And that's, in our scientific world, the goal is to explain everything that way. Uh, When I'm in Taiwan or Uganda or uh, some of those places, uh, everything is a spirit. Uh, When I was in Uganda, uh, one of the times I was there, I was talking to some people in downtown Kampala and, you know, just talk about their spiritual experiences, and they're talking about children being sacrificed in multi-story building projects and put in the pits before they start pouring concrete to ward off the demons so the building would go well. Now, this is a very modern city and one of the economic miracles in the contemporary world. And there's still these guys tell me that they're still sacrificing children in order to ward off the demons. I was there in, what, 2018, I think it was, for a conference, and we were at a church at the foot of a big mountain southeast of Kampala, and up at the top of that mountain, there are 51 shrines to the 51 gods that are in the what we call now Kampala, and I talked to the chief shaman 
from the number one shrine on that mountain. He's a believer now, follows Jesus, and talked about some of the stuff they do. And the realities of what is able to do those spiritual powers are palpable and obvious to people in that realm. Curses, that sort of stuff, blood sacrifices are just everyday things. And these are well-to-do African businessmen and it's like that. But they, they know it because they experience it. So Satan works, I would say, Satan works in different ways and different worldviews. And his whole goal is to get us not to pay attention to God. Right. So in our context in North America, should some of those overt um, um, kind of powerful signs uh, take place, that would actually perhaps work against the powers of darkness here because they've got everyone convinced around here that stuff isn't real or well they haven't they're trying to do that yeah but the supernatural keeps popping up both on the uh, miracle side i was just with uh, just a couple days ago uh, with some people uh, i was teaching a mission perspectives class in roseburg oregon and one of the people in the thing was talking about a cancer victim uh, that went in and she had had prayer over her and went back in this nasty cancer. When they went back in, it was completely gone. And this non-Christian oncologist is weeping. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And this doctor knows cancer. She was an expert. And this, what what happened? And the woman said, well, we prayed. And the doctor is not a believer in any sense, literally is weeping. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. They happen. Yes. It's reality. Yes. Um, yeah, I did a ride along with a police officer in our church a few years ago. And uh, we, I did a night shift on the weekend with him. And it was, I was blown away at what a spiritual experience it was. I mean, the first oh. place, the first place we went was a guy who had been reported missing by family. They found his vehicle at a, at a hotel. Um, I'm, I'm shadowing this officer who knocks on the door, goes in, the Gideon Bible is on the bed and he's crying out to God and wants to take his own life, but is wrestling it and like crying out to God. And, uh, this was like the first stop. And, uh, there were other things throughout the night that were just like heavily spiritual. And this officer believer in our church was telling me stories that you couldn't explain with a naturalist kind right. of perspective talking about somebody you know at a call where you know their head was on a swivel like it was like their neck shouldn't turn like that and just like wild stuff yeah. a young woman who six officers couldn't put pin down the strength she had was was beyond you know um human strength kind of thing yeah. and so it, it's there you're, you're right it's not it's not hidden even in our society um i heard at one point in time and i, th- I think this is something that i i just sort of took at face value and there's there is some debate about it about that a christian cannot be demon possessed the 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 way that i had heard it framed was a, a christian could be tormented by the devil but not possessed because we are possessed by christ mm-hmm. um is, what what's your take on that um i, I guess i want to look first at how the christian can face um schemes of the devil of the demonic, uh, but then also um, some of the power and strength and hope we have against it as well. But, yeah. but what would you say to that? 
Well, possession depends on how you define the term. If you, if by possession you mean owned, mm-hmm. a Christian is owned either by God or the devil. There's no in between. Uh, so if, if somebody really is a Christian and in the kingdom of light, they're not a part of the dominion of darkness. So you cannot be owned by the devil if you're a Christian. Uh, but part of the definition of possession is influenced. Uh, you know, what possessed you to do that? And Christians can be influenced, tempted, or accused, and pretty much everybody agrees on that. The debate is whether a Christian could be dominated by a demon, where they could lose control of, of, say, can a demon speak through the mouth of a Christian? Uh, And that's debated. Some would say, no, you can't do that because the Holy Spirit's in us, therefore a demon can't be. Uh, And often they'll appeal to the Old Testament temple. You know, we're temple of of the Holy Spirit, which is true, clearly taught 1 Corinthians 6 and 2 Corinthians 6. Uh, So we are temple of the Holy Spirit. Can a demonic spirit be inside a believer at the same time the Holy Spirit is there? Many would say, no, 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 it's one or the other. Uh, My take is that in the Old Testament, you have demonic stuff in the temple all the time. The reform of Hezekiah and Josiah, and then when God takes uh, Ezekiel back to show him what's going on in Ezekiel 8 through 11, there's demonic stuff going on in the temple while God's still in the Holy of Holies. Uh, I Myself, I don't know whether a demon can be inside a believer or not. To me, it makes no difference. Uh, Can a demon uh, tempt a believer and they fall prey to it? And the answer is yes. So a demon can have power that we give it. Uh, I think that happens. And I've had Christians talk to me. I've had demons talk to me through the voices of Christians. So I absolutely believe that can happen. But I don't know whether a demon can be inside a believer or not. To me, that's irrelevant. The point is influence and authority. They have influence. The only authority a demon has over a believer is what we give them by believing their lies or following their ways. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if you're you're comfortable sharing any of these stories, but you've had a couple encounters that seem, you know, I, I so I come, I, that my experience is in the, is more leaning towards the like, um, functional naturalist of, you yeah. know, I, I, I know what I believe. It just, it, it's not, these aren't things that I hear about regularly. And so, um, yeah, I mean, even a couple of your stories, it's like, I'm taken aback. I'm like, oh yeah. You know, and it was <laughs> actually with another, another guy in our cohort, we were, uh, we were, um, carpooling. And so we were driving back together and I was like, yeah, that was some wild stuff. Hey, like let's talking that through. And he told a story uh, he had preached one morning and there was a guy who needed to talk with him and things got wild real fast. And he's like, yeah, until that encounter, you know, it was sort of just, yeah, I believe these things to be true, but they're not in my experience. And his story blew me away too. So uh, did you find yourself sur- surprised at, at some point in time? And you're like, whoa, this is not just theoretical. This is real. Yeah. Well, I grew up as scientifically trained and oriented and just believed that demonic stories were uh, uh, explana- psych- using demons to have explanation for psychiatric disorders. You know, we know it's psychiatric. It's not demonic. Right. Uh, but when I was in the Philippines... Uh, I talked to people there who were 
had been active in demonic stuff and believers who had been in demonic stuff before they were saved. And I couldn't explain away their story. And I saw a demon-possessed man there in the Philippines that came into our church and was causing trouble. And uh, it just, wow, and had some things. But since I've been back, I had teach uh, angels and demons as a theology prof. So I came up with basic biblical theology demonic, which I still use. And uh, just because I take things seriously, you know, I've had a number of times. Uh, I mean, one story had happened here in my office at a Christian. He's a pastor and a seminary student, a tough guy from Texas. He's an Aggie and a <laughs> tough guy, but had some really nasty addictions going on. So I had him seeing a Christian psychologist friend of mine to work on some addictive stuff. We had a release of information, and my psychologist friend was saying, you know, I'm just running this stuff here that I can't get at psychologically. Uh, and she gave me some specifics. Mm -hmm. And so I was sitting here in my office, and I was pressing on him hard spiritually because I was doing spiritual stuff with him. And suddenly I watched this tough Texas Aggie. His face changed completely, and I heard a whole different voice come in his mouth. He's ours. You can't have him. And 30 seconds later, this tough Texas Aggie is sunk down in the chair sobbing. What was that? What was that? Well, I knew what it was, and so did he as he thought about it. And so we dealt with the demon. Turned out there were two or three of them. And with me helped him he as a christian had the authority to tell these demons to get away and they did uh and it was a life changer for him just absolutely a life changer so yeah those things happen i've had a number of stories where i've had direct encounters like that yeah uh, and it we as christians have the authority to tell a demonic influence to get away and we have the authority to enforce that but if we don't believe that, then we don't do it, and the demon ends up having that influence. Like this guy, the demon was empowering these addictions that he was doing, yes. and he could not overcome the spiritual power, even from an excellent Christian psychologist who really knew what she was doing, uh, but wasn't using the spiritual stuff, because under license, she really wasn't allowed to do that. So that's why we were working in team. I was doing the more spiritual side of things. Hmm. So, how, how do we be discerning in ministry to, to understand um, what is kind of um, being dominated or um, that isn't just simply the devil made me do it, but also yeah. isn't belittling the spiritual realm? How, how, like, how do Christians fight sin, uh, yeah. fight this spiritual battle? Um, toward victory? Like, what does that look like to pursue holiness and actually grow in purity, grow towards Christ-likeness yep. when there is this very real battle being waged? Because I'd hate for people to be listening, be freaked out and feel powerless. Yeah. And that's part of it is, as Christians, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the authority of the canceled forgiveness, Second or Colossians 2, 13 through 15. He has disarmed the spiritual powers through the work of the cross, and they do not have authority over us except what we give them by believing their lies. So when I'm dealing with somebody who's dealing with addictive behaviors or 
anxiety disorders or suicidality or something like that, I'm assuming multimodal stuff. I'm assuming there's emotional stuff. There's probably family line stuff. There may be biological types of things. And, but also, there may be a demonic presence in there. So I'm trying to explore all of those. And, you know, I have them go see a doctor and check out their hormones. Uh, if it's appropriate, I have them go see a really good counselor to check out emotional trauma and that sort of thing. But what I do is uh, I have people, my very base thing is to have people under the power of the Holy Spirit to look in their own inner world and ask Jesus to show them what's going on. Holy Spirit, will you show Bill what he needs to see right now in his inner world? Now, that's too simple, but that's the base principle I use. I can't see what's going on inside in their thought life and their spiritual side of their life, but they can, and under the power of the Holy Spirit, and with the help of me or maybe a couple other believers, we can discern whether that's just a, a, a a habitual voice, or if that's really a demonic voice going on inside them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then if it's, a, if it's a demon, it's going to be personal because demons are living beings and they hate to be looked at in the name of Jesus and they'll react. And a person who's looking inside can see, you know, can discern is that me or is that something else? And when they realize, wait a minute, that's not me, that's something else then with the authority of Jesus, we can command that thing to present itself and to get away in Jesus' name. That's the broad outlines of what I do. Gotcha. No, that's good. But Um, it may be trauma. It may be just uh, habituated bad patterns of behavior. mm -hmm. Uh, You can be in really bad space and nothing demonic there at all. But demons is one cause for behavioral problems or emotional problems. Okay, so we have that. Um, there's this this um, kind of the broad categories of, of Satan's tactics, the ideas of deception, which you talked about with Eve, right? right? Yep. Um, there's the, the uh, category of, of accusations, like yep. you're too bad to ever be saved. Yep. yep. Um, some great wisdom I heard about that was just when... When you have to be able, you have to listen to the voices that are speaking to you and ask yourself, is that the voice of God? Is that what God declares? Because there are so yep. many lies yep. that we hear and we don't discern about. We just take it face value. I am worthless. I cannot be saved. Right. I'm so unlovable. And yep. God does not declare those types of statements over us. That's correct. Satan yeah. uses accusation. Yep. And that's for doing it in a context of gracious believers who will check my thoughts and pray with me. We do it by ourselves. We can get lost in the deception. Mm-hmm. But if we have people we can talk to yeah. where we can say, you know, I'm hearing this crazy thing going on in my thought life. What, what do you, and, and pray together about that. Uh, and Satan says, you don't need anybody to help you. You can do it yourself. No, we need community. We need spiritual people to help us in this discernment. Yes. That's good. And then another tactic would be temptation. And, and, and yep. there's the helpful, there's the helpful um, uh, scenario where, you know, Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness and yeah. Jesus quotes this scripture. He keeps quoting scripture back 
Um, how would you frame that, this idea of the tactic that Satan uses, which is temptation in the life of Christians and Jesus' model for us? How would you flesh that out for us? The What Jesus does there, of course, he does it well, uh, is he discerns when uh, Satan say, you know, worship me and I'll give you the kingdom of the world. Uh, Satan is trying to get him to take the easy way out. And Jesus knows what God says, worship me and none other, and he responds with that. So the best way to deal against deception, of course, is to live firmly in the truth and, again, do it in a community of believers. Uh, and that's where when an idea comes in to test it with myself and with Scripture and with a community of believers, you know, is this really true? That's the best way to deal with deception. If we get off by ourselves, we can get really, really deep in deception and not realize we're living a lie. So John Mark Comer, you talked about him a minute ago. Uh, he did a book called Live No Lies. Mm -hmm. That is a really good response to what I call ordinary spiritual warfare, the temptation, the deception, those things, as opposed to the uh, uh, domination by a demon. Uh, how, do you, how do you get... A path you get past deception is to live in the truth, Scripture, live in community, other believers, live in worship of Jesus. That's the best way to deal with those. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll give you the last word. We'll we'll land the plane here, but uh, <laughs> words of hope, uh, kind of gospel clarity around yeah. this issue of Satan and demons and spiritual warfare. What would you say to the listeners, Gary? A biggest thing is Jesus is the victor. He is the demonic powers are disarmed. Colossians two fifteen, uh, that Jesus has triumphed over them, and we can follow the pattern of Jesus when we see this voice that's not us, uh, like Jesus did. Quote scripture back at it, uh, and command it to get away. Get some help to do that, uh, and we can be free from those demonic deceptions, accusation, temptations, uh, and there really is hope. As far as reading is concerned, John Mark Comer, Live No Lies is good. Uh, Clint Arnold, uh, he's at Talbot Seminary, uh, and he did a book called Three Questions About Spiritual Warfare that's really quite helpful, both in theology and practice. And then on my website, Bershears.net, uh, I've got a tab on there that says Spiritual Warfare Resources, and I've got quite a bit of stuff in that spot where people can take a look as well. And then enjoy worshiping God and serve Him with faithfully, and there's great joy and hope out there. That's the best way to overcome a demon is live in the joy and hope of Jesus. Yeah, that is fantastic. Well, we'll put uh, links to all of those in the show notes. Uh, Gary, I, I speak for the whole cohort here. I can say this with confidence. You are an absolute treasure to us. We love your investment in our lives and the churches that we lead. Uh, thanks so much for your ministry and for this conversation. I'll talk to you next week. God bless you, friend. <laughs> you too. Thanks. As you can tell, I am a big fan of Gary Brashears, and the topic of spiritual warfare was one that hadn't really been broached on the podcast, so it was great to get him on and to learn from him here. Next up, I get Sam Albury on the podcast to talk about the updated and expanded version of his book, Is God Anti-Gay? 
to talk about his ministry also with Ray Ortland, encouraging pastors, and finally about his new role as a fellow at the Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics and how he and the center hope to help Christians show unbelievers the truth, goodness, and beauty of the gospel as the only hope that fulfills our deepest longings. Thanks for listening to Deep Thoughts. I hope it helps you in fostering deep faith.